Well, I found out the hard way that you should never get a car warranty. And I don't know if that's true for everyone, but at least it hasn't worked out so well for us. You see, we bought a minivan a little bit over a year ago, and uh, that salesman, well, he knew how to sell a product. Uh, I went in there thinking I was going to hold my ground and not be oversold, and yet he reminded me of all the reasons why I needed a car warranty. He told me, you know, cars, they have problems, and you don't want to be blindsided with any unexpected costs. And just within a few times of having problems with your car, this warranty will have paid for itself. So buy the warranty. And you see, he wasn't lying when he told me that cars will have problems. We've certainly had a few already. But what he didn't tell me is about all the issues in which this warranty wouldn't cover. And up until this point, I have yet to see that warranty take any effect and save me any money. You see, I have a hard time trusting many salesmen and it's not just the problem with salesmen. If you're a salesman and you're an honest salesman, I don't have a problem with you. My problem is with dishonest salesmen, such people who are described in the scriptures time and time again, like Proverbs 20, with unequal weights and a false scale. These people are an abomination to the Lord, and I don't like them either. But it's not just salesmen that I have a problem with. Let's be even-handed here. It's not just salesmen who are dishonest. Even pastors these days have repeatedly proven themselves to be untrustworthy. And so whether it's salesmen or pastors or anyone else, it seems as if no one can be trusted these days because promises often come with fine print and exceptions to the promise. Hands are shaken while fingers are crossed. And even if they aren't crossing their fingers, it seems as if a person's word hardly means anything anymore. And so we're left asking, what are we to do in such a time as this? Well, this is what our psalm shows us this morning. You see, we are not the first ones to see people who are marked by wickedness and deception and lies. You see, David, the author of Psalm 12, lives to see these days as well. Psalm 12, 1 and 2 sets the scene. He says this, Save, O Lord. And here's why. The godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a devil heart, they speak. Here in just four lines, we have two parts that describe one problem. First stated negatively in the first two lines, he says that the godly are gone, that those who are, are God's people, those who are faithful, they have vanished among the children of man. And then stated positively what the problem is, he says, all those who are left among us, they're wicked, they're liars, they're flatterers with a devil heart. What David is writing in his day could have just as well have been written even here today where wickedness runs rampant and dishonest salesmen are the least of our problems today you see even neighbors no longer trust one another i don't know if you've noticed it but it seems like as i look around every house has cameras that are are wanting to spot people who are looking to steal from their cars or break into their homes and it's not just neighbors that we don't trust even friendships are fueled by flattery how often do friends conceal the truth just to maintain that so-called friendship? And even the most trusted relationships of marriage are often filled with deception 
and lies. Put broadly, yes no longer means yes. And no, long, no, no, no longer means no. I don't know if that makes sense. But yes does not mean yes, and no does not mean no. People are constantly caught in lies and deception from the very first lie that denies God all the way to the lies that go on to deny their God-given gender. People are full of deception and lies. But we can take comfort in this. We are not the first to see a world of wickedness that we live in. As we're going to see, the psalm here, Psalm 12, describes such days as these. And we could recount many other days throughout the, the scriptures that describe the same, whether it be Lot in the midst of Sodom, or Daniel when he was captive in Babylon. And even Elijah himself said these words, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Though it may feel as if we are the first to experience such wickedness in our day, do be encouraged. The scriptures show us that we are not the first. And not only that, the Psalm 12 is going to give us not only encouragement for these days, but also it'll give us means of grace whereby we may be able to, to survive the day and age in which we live in. And so let's listen to these opening verses yet again. Psalm 12, verses 1 through 4, start out like this. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man, Everyone utters lies to his neighbors with flattering lips and a devil heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that make great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us. These verses, yes, they're a description of the wickedness in David's day, but look a little bit closer. This isn't just a description of what David was seeing. This is a prayer to God for salvation. And so what are we to do in this world of wickedness? Well, if we're going to learn anything from David, we ought to pray to God. This is going to be our best defense in this world of wickedness. And now this seems like the obvious thing to do. Yes, every preacher would tell you to do it, but it's worth being reminded of all the same because prayer is often the last thing we do when we are in the thralls of trouble. Depending on where we go in our trouble, it says a lot about where we believe our help to be found. I can think back to when I was in high school and I was in a chemistry class that I found rather challenging. I would go to my dad for help because he got his degree in chemistry, and I wouldn't go to mom for help with my chemistry problems. And that said a lot about who I believed would be able to help me when I had questions and problems in chemistry. So too, if we are in these days of trouble, and if we merely go to increased security measures or whatever other means we might try to save ourselves in this wicked day, well, then where is your help found? But if in times of trouble we go to God in prayer, it is owing to the fact that we know this. Our help comes from the Lord who created heaven and earth. And so 
What should our prayers look like then when we are surrounded by this wickedness in this day and age that is perverse and, and lies and does not acknowledge the truth? Well, we should do what David did. Right away, in verse 1, David, he prayed a very simple prayer. He prayed this. Save, O Lord. Often I hear Christians say they don't know how to pray. But if you are a Christian, then you must know this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And even if that's all you knew about God, well, then you'd be on your way to having a rich and vibrant prayer life. Because if you know that salvation belongs to the Lord, then whenever you are in need of His salvation and His help, then you will cry out to the Lord for salvation. Though these three little words are simple and easy to even memorize, oh, they say far more than what's contained in just those three words. This prayer shows that those who, who seek the Lord for help, trust the Lord for help. For he alone is our hope for salvation. Where else shall one go but to him in their trouble? Not only this, this prayer shows that God is our refuge, that protection from the wicked does not come through better laws or better governing authorities, but protection from the wicked comes from our God, for he is righteous in all that he does, and he will punish the wicked. And this prayer also shows us that apart from him, we are helpless in the thralls of such wickedness. Many people believe that might belongs to men. But we know better. We know that our strength comes from the Lord, and if the Lord does not watch the city, then the watchman stays awake in vain. Psalm 127. And so how should we pray in the midst of our troubles? Well, we ought to pray for salvation, but not only that, we ought to also pray about the very situation that is causing us trouble. This is how David himself is found praying here in Psalm 12. Most of his prayer is descriptive about what is troubling him. Look again. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Everyone utters lies to his neighbors. With flattering lips and a devil heart they speak. That's the, just describing it. So now he's saying, Lord, do something about this. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us. Here in this imprecatory psalm, once again, he's asking God to punish the wicked, and it is fitting for them to be punished in like manner, for their lips and their tongues to be cut off. For this is their offense. They boast. They deceive, they lie, and they even question God's rule over them. And so just as a thief would steal and have his hand cut off, so too such boasters and such liars ought to have their lips and tongues cut off. Lofty words, though, we see here in even this prayer are not necessary for the Lord to hear our request. He is just simply praying from his heart letting the Lord know his burden. And we know that lofty prayers are not needed in order for God to hear us. Our Lord himself said this. In Matthew 6, when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. 
Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so as we learn to pray from David in this wicked and twisted generation that we're living in, it will simply suffice for us to let God know what troubles us. And we can take comfort in knowing this, that, that He hears it and He knows it. And even if we can't find the words to pray, we see here, even in this psalm, even a groan is sufficient for a prayer. Psalm 12.5 continues like this, because the poor are plundered, this is God speaking, but because the poor are plundered and because the needy groan, now I will arise, says the Lord. We'll come back to this verse in more detail here in just a little bit, but let's just consider the power of a groan. There are many privileges of getting to, to be on staff here at church, and one of those privileges is every single day we get together as a staff and, and we pray together. And this week, one of the other staff members here articulated this very same prayer beautifully. They said, I don't know how to articulate my requests today, but I know this, I need the Lord to help me. And so it is, such a groan is heard by God, and he knows exactly what we need in these hours. Romans 8 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, that's God, who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Take comfort in this. If you're groaning this morning, so long as your groaning is to the Lord, he hears your groaning and he knows what you need. You see, we do not need the crafty speech like the wicked who will deceive in order to get what they want. No, we do not need crafty speech at all, but simply a groan is sufficient for God to hear our prayers. Even this morning as I, I was preparing this sermon over the course of the weekend, there's great effort that goes into putting a bunch of words and ideas and thoughts together in order to make it make sense. One, I want to rightly handle the word. Furthermore, I also want to convince you all to, to trust the Lord this morning. I want to convince you in the same way that Paul sought to convince King Agrippa through his own words. This is what I do when I preach. I want to make sense. If I was just babbling nonsense up here, I wouldn't make for a very good preacher. But compare preaching to that of prayer, and we should see that there is no wrong way to pray so long as it is done with a pure heart that loves the Lord. And you certainly do not need to convince God to do good for you. Because before you ever prayed, God was already at work for your good. And so if you don't know what to do in this wicked and perverse generation, pray. Pray to the Lord and ask Him to save you from this trouble. But what keeps us from prayer? Probably, if not more than anything else, it's doubt. Not for lack of time that we don't pray, but lack of faith. We doubt that God hears our prayers, or if He does, we doubt that He will actually do something about our distress. And so this doubt keeps us from praying. But if you doubt God this morning and His, his ear to hear and His ability to act, well, then listen to what God says about David's situation and his prayer. 
Psalm 12, 5, the Lord here is speaking. He says this, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. So if you are surrounded by wicked today, you must not only pray, but you must also listen to God's word. Because here in God's word, there is great comfort for those who are in the pit. Oftentimes when we talk about reading God's word, we are really good at trying to turn this into a means by which we can somehow earn God's favor. But that is not why we read the Bible, friends. We read God's word because through it, he is, he is giving himself to us. He is giving us grace for today. He is showing us all of his promises so that we might take comfort in our trials. You see, it's not just the poor who respond to the wickedness through their own words and prayers, but even God sees. And in his seeing, he responds. Oh, there is great effect in our prayers and in our groaning. My dear wife, she's a patient woman. Because oftentimes, she will tell me something that's important. And I didn't tell her I was going to tell you guys this this morning. She's a wonderful woman for that as well. But uh, she'll tell me something important, something I should listen to, and, and it'll go in one ear and out the other. In order for her to get the message across to me, she needs to do a number of things. One, she needs me in the same room with her. And furthermore, she needs to have my full attention, not sleeping Josh, not distracted and preoccupied Josh. No, she needs me to look her in the eyes if I'm going to hear, hear her loud and clear. Or else the message is not going to be received. But the same limits are not known to our God. You see, we do not pray to a God who is distant and far off. And we do not pray to a God to whom we must awaken if he is to hear us. We pray to our God who is very near to us, and not only that, but he is mindful of us. And so we pray to him, first of all, because he, he sees. And yes, he does see us, and he sees all things. Here are the words of our God, once again, Psalm 12, 5. He says, because the poor are plundered. That is to say, before you even had to pray, before you were even groaning, David, I see what the wicked do. He sees all things. Tate taught us this last week in Psalm 11. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. Hebrews 4 says the same thing of God. There towards the end of verse 12, it talks about God. He discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the human heart. We don't need to say something for us to be able to judge us. He knows what we think. He knows what we desire, even those things that are wicked. And he continues, he says, No creature is hidden from the Lord's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so to the wicked who think God does not see, to the wicked who boast and say, who is Lord over us? Know this, he who sees is Lord over you. Proverbs 5 tells us the same thing. 
for man's ways are behold, are before, excuse me, the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. So the liars, they can fool the needy. They can deceive to get what they want, but they will not be able to fool the Lord who sees all things, even the secret thoughts of his heart. So it is the wicked and the deceivers who are in fact deceived. For they believe that they will not be held account for what they have done. Psalm 12, 4. This is what they say. Our tongues are with us. Our, our tongues will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? They do not believe that God will punish them for what they do. And yet Jesus tells us this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. So if you think God does not care about what you say, yes, even those careless little lies, even the smallest white lie, oh, you are wrong. But it's not that he just sees what the wicked do. Furthermore, the Lord, he also hears our prayer, as we've already said. Look again at verse 5. Because the poor are plundered, and because the needy groan, you know this morning God hears your groaning? Oh, he's heard the groaning of his people throughout all the ages. Exodus 2. You remember the scene where Israel was in captivity there in Egypt. It says this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and he knew. Once again, reminding that he sees and he hears. Psalm 34 once again tells us the same thing. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. So John tells us this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But what good is seeing our affliction and hearing our growing, groaning if he doesn't do something about it? Is God without action? Does he see and hear only to remain seated? No, not at all. But he is a God who acts. We pray because God, he responds to our prayers. Because the poor are plundered, and because the need be grown, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Oh, there is great comfort in these words, brothers and sisters. Some look on the poor and have a desire to help, but are restricted from actually being able to do anything about it. Others look on the poor and ignore them because they do not care for them. But our God has both the power to save his people and his love to do something about our need for salvation. And so he gives us his word, his promise. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. It's no wonder the man who meditates on God's law day and night is called blessed. Because this is happy, happy news. 
He delights in God's word because his word is delightful. You see, I have no idea how a person can live a single day apart from the promises of God's word because all the heartbreak, all the, the wickedness, all the things that are full of this world, how can you make sense of it if you do not have the blessed news of God's protection and safety for which he has given us? See, the word of God, it is the only firm foundation that will not be toppled when trials come your way. So are you surrounded by the wicked? Well, if so, respond in prayer. But not only that, but take comfort in this. God responds to your prayer, and he responds to the wickedness of those who sin against you. Which leads us to one last thing. He's given us his word. But is his word trustworthy? Well, this morning I want to encourage us all to do just that. Trust his word. Trust his word. Believe him at every single thing that he says. Because God is not like the wicked liars. Know this. His, his words are pure. David, he knows a thing or two about cheap talk of the wicked. They say one thing and then do another. They flatter with their mouths and they're double-hearted. This is not so of our God. Psalm 12, verse 6. He says this, The words of the Lord are pure words. These words are like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Let's try to understand what's going on here in this description of God's word being likened to this pure silver. The silver is described as being refined, meaning it has been put through fire. It has been tested in any, any dross, that is any debris and any dirt that, that may have defiled that silver, is now burnt up and consumed. But this is not just silver that has been refined once. This is silver that has been refined seven times. And I think that number seven is significant here. Throughout the scriptures, seven is this number of completion that is echoed all over the place, just as it took God seven days to complete his work of creation, where he was able to rest and say, oh, this is all very good. And so it is of this pure silver. It is perfect. It is complete, complete, pure. And even under the most severe examination and even under the most critical trials, it will prove itself to be true time and time again, no matter how much criticism might come against it. For it is without fault. You see, the words of men, it is cheap. No silver in it at all. Full of all kinds of impurities. This devil-hearted man has a heart that says one thing and another heart that says another. But the word of God is always true. And as, as such, his promises are precious. <clears throat> Which means this, as God's word is pure, his word is also trustworthy. Since God's word is pure, David says this in verse 7. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. I want you to notice here that this is all looking towards a future day. 
It's not because this has already happened that, that David is confident that the Lord is going to keep his word. But it's because he knows God's word is pure and trustworthy. Therefore, he says, you will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. This gives David confidence, knowing the, the purity of God in his word. He knows this of God, that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he not said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? The church, God, he is trustworthy. His word does not change. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So David, he knows this. He knows he's going to need to trust the Lord and his word. And we do too, because listen to Psalm 12, 8. On every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Here in Psalm 12, David is exercising faith. That is to say, he's believing God's word based on what he hears and not what he sees. Because what he sees is wickedness and vileness increasing all around him. On every side, he says, the wicked prowl. I think this is fitting that our psalm opens and closes with this description of wickedness on every side and all around David. Because as David looks around him, there is wickedness on every side of him. And so it is in our day as well. Wickedness is all around us. Now David, he was confident that God would act according to his word. Yeah, David, he knew this because of, of his knowledge of the character of God, the goodness of God, the purity and holiness of God. And he knew that God would keep his word because God had given him his word. And so too, God has given us his word so that we too might believe. But what of us this morning who may be slow to believe? How can we know that God's word will in fact come to pass? How can we know that God will protect his people and more than that, save us forever? How can we know that God's word is trustworthy just as David does? Well, you see, David, from his vantage point, he was looking forward to a day in which God would do this very thing, but we have this advantage. We look back to the day in which God acted in saving us by sending us his son to deal with the wicked. You know the scene well, hopefully. There when the New Testament open up and opens up and Jesus comes onto the scene, Israel at this time is quite literally surrounded by the wicked. In particular, they're occupied by Rome, godless nation, who did not love the Lord nor his people. And so Israel, who was occupied by Rome, certainly thought when Jesus came on the scene, hooray, God is fulfilling his promise to us. He's going to eradicate all wickedness. He's going he's to do away with Rome. 
so that the godly might worship him and rejoice and no longer be troubled by all their evil. But Israel didn't realize this, that when Jesus came, he did not come to deal with the wicked Romans. No, he came to deal with the wickedness that surrounded Israel in their hearts through their own sins and even our sins as well. When Jesus came, he, he himself became the only righteous one. He himself was the righteous one where all the, the righteous, all the godless people deserted him. They're on the cross. Where were his disciples? Where was Israel who loved him, who chose to follow him, who said they would never leave him? No, there on the cross, it was him, the truly righteous one, the truly godly one who would be left all alone to hang and die on the cross. And he would be surrounded by nothing but the flattering words of the wicked who hailed him to be king of the Jews. Oh, but this truth was not believed by them. But instead, they simply mocked him. So he hung. And he died. But we know that's not the end. For three days later, he rose again. And so it is for us today. Here we are, 2,000 years later, and we are continually surrounded by the wicked. How can we know that God will fulfill his promise? How can we know that he will deal with the wicked? We know it by looking back at the cross where he dealt with sin once and for all. Brothers and sisters, believe in Jesus Christ this day. Hear his word. Trust his promises. And know this, there is coming a day where he will do that very thing. He will destroy the wicked and he will bring us into his presence forevermore. Let us keep the faith and let us not join with the wicked, but instead may we trust in God's promises to the very end. Let me pray for you. Father, we do thank you that you have given us your word, that even before we ever to you, you saw what we needed. Before we ever knew to cry out to help, Lord, you gave us your son. And you called us and convicted us of our own sin and pulled us up out of the pit and made us your own. You cleaned us and made us, made us something that is lovely. This is all owing to your grace. And so, Lord, even today, would you grant us faith to believe, to keep the faith, to continue to hope in you? But until that day comes, Lord, we will continue to cry out to you and to trust you. And so, Lord, we ask now, come, Lord Jesus, come. In Christ's name, amen.